It's Saturday, October the 30th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden and Macron mend ties and a conviction in Myanmar. First, the week in brief. In a face-to-face meeting in Rome, Joe Biden told Emmanuel Macron that America was, quote, clumsy in its handling of an agreement to provide nuclear-powered submarines to Australia. The deal supplanted a previous one agreed between France and Australia and led to an extended diplomatic spat. The pair discussed further cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region, and officials from both countries said America was prepared to help French counter-terrorism efforts in Africa. Win Tain, a former member of Myanmar's parliament, was sentenced to 20 years in prison for treason. It is the first time a high-ranking member of the National League for Democracy, the party that led Myanmar's government until a coup in February, has been sentenced since the putsch. The ruling junta has since been fighting a bloody civil war that shows no sign of abating. America's Food and Drug Administration approved the use of the Pfizer vaccine in children aged 5 to 11. Around 28 million children will be eligible to receive one-third of the adult dose over two shots. According to Pfizer's data, the smaller dose is more than 90% effective against symptomatic COVID-19 cases in young children. ExxonMobil and Chevron, two American oil supermajors, reported their best quarterly profits in years, powered by surging energy demand and a commodity price boom. ExxonMobil's net income in the three months to September was 6.8 billion US dollars, up 2.1 billion US dollars from the second quarter. Chevron's was 6.1 billion US dollars, an increase of 3 billion US dollars. Flush with cash, ExxonMobil will resume share buybacks starting next year after halting them in 2016. Three of Belarus's most popular opposition social media channels were classified as extremist organisations by the Interior Ministry. Anyone subscribing to Telegram channels Nexta, Nexta Live or Luxta could face up to seven years in prison. Nexta, a news outlet, was co-founded by Roman Protasevich. The company mocked the decision claiming, quote, 1.4 million more extremists appeared in Belarus today. Adam Kinzinger, one of the 10 Republican members of the House of Representatives to vote to impeach former President Donald Trump in 2021, said he will not stand in next year's midterms. Earlier, the Illinois state legislature passed a redistricting map that would have forced him to run in a primary against Darin LaHood, a Trump-backing incumbent congressman. Evidently, Mr Kinzinger did not expect to gain the party's support. England could become the first country in the world to prescribe e-cigarettes to patients wanting to quit smoking. The medicines regulator is inviting manufacturers to submit products for review. Vaping has been found to be less harmful than traditional cigarettes, but regulators and politicians worldwide have sounded the alarm over their long-term effects. 
And word of the week, parthenogenesis, noun, a form of male-free reproduction where an egg can develop into an embryo without being fertilized by sperm. And now, here's today's agenda. Out of the locker, gay footballers. The most recognizable player in women's football, Megan Rapinoe, is gay. So are Ashlyn Harris and Ali Krieger, her teammates on the American women's team. Hope Powell, a legendary English coach, is also a lesbian, as is the former England captain Casey Stoney. Women's football has created a culture of acceptance. The same cannot be said for the men's game. This week, a 21-year-old Australian male footballer, Josh Cavallo, came out on social media. This made him the only openly gay player in a major men's league. A few footballers have come out after retiring, but only one other top-level professional player, Justin Fashionu, had come out while playing in a top-flight league. Mr Cavallo intends to play almost all of his career with his sexuality publicly known. Clubs and players welcomed his decision. If fans show him the same respect, the future of the men's game could be more inclusive. Artificial Selection – How Evolution Could Design Future Robots What if an algorithm could mimic hundreds of millions of years of evolution? The researchers created virtual environments filled with hundreds of creepy-crawlies to test the approach. The Unimals were programmed to learn tasks such as moving a ball or manoeuvring through obstacles while continuously evolving. As in the animal kingdom, the fittest member would reproduce. The offspring, which overwrote the parent, would be a physical mutation involving one genetic tweak, an extra limb for stability or a different joint for flexibility, perhaps. After 10 generations, the most successful unimals could master tasks twice as fast as their ancestors, despite having the same baseline intelligence. Like in nature, a robot could adapt faster if its body and artificial mind evolve in tandem. Tally-ho! 70s NYC remembered. Rosa von Praunheim, a queer German documentarian, released Tally Brown, New York, in 1979. The film returns to the silver screen on Tuesday at New York City's Metrograph Theatre. It provides a snapshot of the rugged and outrageous New York of the 1970s and an intimate portrait of the eponymous singer. Brown, a classically trained performer, has fallen through the cracks of public attention since her death in 1989. But her story will appeal to those who celebrate the queerness, promiscuity and flamboyance of the subculture she embodied. The documentary shifts seamlessly between Brown's boisterous on-stage presence and her quieter personal life. It visits gay bathhouses, porn cinemas and her grandmother in Florida. The documentary benefits from interviews with Brown and her close associates. New York notables such as Andy Warhol and Taylor Mead pepper the footage. 
it sheds fresh light on 70s New York, blending popular culture with the avant-garde glamour of Brown's underground stages. I'm leaving now. The Brexit Museum. In 2018, a group of Brexit supporters dreamt up a museum. It would focus on, quote, sovereignty, collecting ephemera from the 2016 referendum and exploring the roots of Euroscepticism in Britain. The organisers said they might display the infamous Vote Leave campaign bus, which misleadingly promised that Brexit would secure an extra £350 million, £479 million US dollars a week for the NHS. Many dismissed the project as nonsense. It has not gone away. In April, the Museum of Brexit was granted charity status, on the proviso that it present a balanced account of events. Organisers started fundraising to purchase premises. Last week, they announced that two places, each with a high share of Leave voters, are in contention. Boston, a town in Lincolnshire, and Peterborough, a city in Cambridgeshire. The museum's website claims it will, quote, inform and educate. Given the political persuasions of its founders, many Brits will understandably doubt that claim and choose to remain at home. Profile Ming, a refugee from Hong Kong. Ming didn't expect to become a refugee in her 60s. Although she has travelled, Hong Kong has always been her home, even as she grew more vocally critical of an increasingly repressive Chinese Communist Party. But in April this year, terrified that the Chinese Communist Party could seize control of her hard-earned savings and throw her in jail, the retired primary school teacher fled to Britain. She left her husband and daughter behind. Of course I miss them, she says, from the dining room of a bed and breakfast in Blackpool, a down-at-heel British seaside town where, to her surprise, she has ended up. Many people assume Hong Kongers are as moneyed as their city's banks. But some of the tens of thousands who have fled the city in the past year left with little more than the clothes on their backs. Ming was one of them. She initially stayed in a youth hostel in London, but that proved expensive. Through a video published by one of her favourite YouTube channels, which focuses on Hong Kong and Chinese politics, she learned about the existence of a, quote, safe house in Blackpool offering cheap or free accommodation to needy Hong Kongers. Crucially, the manager of the safe house would screen all guests for signs of allegiance to the CCP. Any suspected moles, identified by their lack of knowledge about key figures in the pro-democracy movement, among other indicators, would be turned away. The screening process means that Ming feels relaxed with her fellow emigres. Around 30 Hong Kongers have landed in Blackpool, a town few of them had ever heard of before. Relations with the locals have been cordial but distant. But they have befriended each other, driven by shared feelings of fear and hope. Ming, like the others, is unsure what her next steps are. She applied for a job with a Chinese takeaway in London, but was turned down. 
She fills her days with walks along the promenade and group trips to anti-CCP protests in various cities. Remnants of the fear she felt in Hong Kong linger. Ming is not her real name, and although she keeps in touch with her family via WhatsApp, she doesn't share too many details of her movements. Even in Britain, Hong Kongers such as Ming are looking over their shoulder. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Abbott, who died on May 24, 1996. Every man's ability may be strengthened or increased by culture. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 